0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. If God's Word this morning, open it to James chapter 1, or if you don't, that's totally fine too. We will have it up here on the screen, or pull up your phone, whatever works best for you. But Before we dive into that, I just want to welcome everyone here this morning. I know many of you are regular faces but i know some of you are new this is your first time with us or one of your first couple times with us and we just want to let you know how glad we are that you're with us and we really hope that you move from just being a guest to being family that's what we're all about here at fellowship we're not about just a, a sunday gathering we're about actually following jesus in the stuff of everyday life together we want to live together and as a families of missionary servants. The way we do this is through what we call missional communities. And at the end of our time together today, uh, Luke will share more about that. just want to already point you in that direction because we're beginning a new series this morning through the book of James. And you uh, see the graphic up here. We're calling it Christianity on the Ground Level and really just, just goes along with everything I've already said and everything we're about, is we don't want to just have this view of God, this view of discipleship, this view of following Christ, it's like 30,000 feet overview. But we want to know what it looks like to actually live this Christian life that Jesus has called us to live on the ground level, in the nitty-gritty details of everyday life. And there may not be a book in the Bible that just cuts to the chase any quicker than the book of James. James was one of the, the first and earliest letters that the church received in this period of time, and it really shows the church what it means to have a faith that works. So to not just t- to have some head knowledge that we believe, which is what so many of us have experienced in the religious South, we've learned a lot of things, we've given a lot of mental assent and agreement to things, but we've not seen what it looks like to actually live these things out. Well, James through the power of the Holy Spirit, is here to help us get there. And this morning, we're going to look at quite a big chunk, but I think we'll see how this all comes together in leading us after Christ on the ground level. So James chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 18. I'll just look on the screen and read along with you here. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers... When you meet various kinds of trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. But blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. And May the Lord add His blessing to His word. Let's pray. Father, we need You to teach us this morning. Because we have a really hard time believing what you've told us in your word. Oh God, even, even as I think of this call to count our trials joy, it seems unrealistic, God. From our perspective, it, it, seems, it seems like a pipe dream. It doesn't seem like something true on the ground level. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to, to fill and flood this place and, and work into our hearts what is true, We pray that what we've sang would be the posture of our hearts, Father. Here is our heart, speak what is true. And God, I just ask you that you would give us a a change so that we not just have more peaceful lives when we deal with hard times, but so that we live as in such a way that it demands a gospel explanation so that we might spread the good news of Jesus and His glory would be known in this city. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it really didn't take it, but having two little boys is a constant reminder of how especially boys, little boys, like to gross you out. (laughs) Whatever is the grossest thing they can talk about or the grossest thing they can be a part of, they are all about it. If you want to be their best friend, just talk about something gross. Well, as a young boy myself, this was very hard. Because for whatever reason, and I'll tell you the reason in just a second, whenever I was the kid you could gross out. I had this weird sort of gag reflex thing that I did not understand as a child, and I was the person that the other kids could just talk about something gross, and I would pretty much like vomit on the spot. And so you can just imagine how much fun they had with me in kindergarten. Right? We're standing that line inside the class, and I watch this. You know, and they just t- come up and start talking about the grossest thing they could think about. And here I go. <laughs> totally embarrassing, right? I mean, just imagine being that kid. Well, we found out what it was. Is I just had like these gigantic tonsils. And I don't, still don't even know what adenoids are, but anyway. <laughs> so my parents are like, we're going to get your tonsils and adenoids taken out. And, I, and, and later on after they did it, it really did help. But the process was horrible, Now, this wasn't a major surgery of any kind, but I still remember it as clear as if it was yesterday, coming out of that surgery and sitting on the the hospital bed and just dying for a drink. My throat just felt horrible. And I was just like, you know, I need something to drink. And then to have my sweet mama look at me and say, no, you can't have anything to drink. Right? It's a part of the, this healing process is you can't drink anything. And I'm just sitting there like, don't you love me? <laughs> and you can ask my wife, I'm one of these men that uh, I'm very tough, but when I get sick, I'm sick. <laughs> Maybe some of you wives can relate to your husbands. And so, but here I am, this was really serious to me as a kid. I feel like I'm being completely abandoned by my parents. Did they not understand the pain that I'm going through? Did they not understand how this hurts? Why in the world would they not only be allowing this to happen to me, but actually sitting here by the bed with the power, with the potential to get me a glass of water and make me feel better? I mean, you're sitting there, you know, you're, I'm crying these tears and I'm looking and I'm like, what the heck are you doing? That's exactly how we can feel when it comes to God and His work in our lives sometimes, isn't it? What are you doing, God? And it's way more serious stuff than having our tonsils took out. Way more serious stuff. It's the relationship we thought that we were going to have that falls through. It's the marriage. And I met with people, we've been married with somebody, let's say 10, 15, 20 years, and then all of a sudden you find out something about them you didn't know that is huge and monumental and life-changing. It's the child who rebels or doesn't love you anymore. It's the dream that you thought you would have achieved at this point in your life and you have not made it. It's when you even try to follow Jesus in making disciples and you realize it's as if, wow, I must have just signed up for heartbreak after heartbreak. I know it, you know it, we know it. We're faced with this reality that the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ has come to set us free. It's good news from sin, from sin's penalty, from sin's power. But we continue to live in a fallen world of suffering, of sin, and trials as his disciples. And what James comes to speak to us about today through the Holy Spirit is that we can still have hope we can still even find ourselves growing through these trials. But the only way we will be able to do it is if we receive these trials as a gift. If you're like me, it's as if God's wanted to say, I'm not going to make that easy for you to preach Sunday morning (laughs) all this week. I'm not going to let you stand in front of a group of people and tell them trials are a gift without you having to deal with that in your own life. So I don't come to you here this morning as some kind of preacher who just wants to give you some false view of reality, but as somebody who is with you struggling to believe these truths. But we are called to believe these truths not merely because it's some sort of chicken soup for the soul to make us feel good, but we come with a truth this morning that is soaked in the blood of a Savior who died on a cross and who rose from a grave, and who gives us the power through His Spirit to really receive our trials as a gift. So how do we do this? How do we do this? What if we really receive trials as a gift? The first thing we see it's a gift because we really get to know ourselves. We see this in verses one through four, where we see this crazy notion, this crazy call, might we even say this crazy command of God's word to count it all joy when you fall into trials of various kinds. Now if you're like me, you're thinking, is this guy crazy? Is he crazy? But if you know a little bit about who's writing this book, James, and you know a little bit about the people to whom he's writing to, the churches of the dispersion, that just means the the spread out people of God, is they are not living in some sort of Disneyland of Christianity. No, if you know anything about the early church or anything about the Apostle James who was writing this, these were people who knew suffering. We still have the privilege, particularly in our part of the country, to be somewhat of a majority in the culture in terms of what we believe. Now that's changing, and that's why we really need to understand what James is saying here. But James and co were a minority who were suffering, who were being ostracized, who were being pushed to the margins, and James would even be one who lost his life for following Jesus. So this guy isn't riding this from some sort of ivory tower or vacation suite on the beach. He's riding this in the middle of much pressure, much persecution, and much trial. And yet he tells them to consider it joy. Now notice, this call is to count it joy. Consider it joy. What this shows us is that's an effort. It's not just going to be automatic. So don't be sitting in here this morning saying, well, something must be wrong with me because I don't feel like this is joy. Well, you shouldn't. Something would be wrong with you. There's others of you in here who think, well, that's just only people with certain personality types can follow commands like this. I know that's what some of you think. But notice here, God is calling you to count it as joy. That means it's an effort. It's a frame of mind. It's a choice that this really stinks. This is really hard. But I am going to press my mind, my heart, my will into the direction of believing that this is for my good. How do we do that? Well, we notice it goes on. It's because trials are an opportunity to grow. It says, My brothers, when you meet various kinds of trials, he says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, how are trials an opportunity to grow? Well, he's talking here because it's a test. It's a purification process, but purification only takes place when there's first been revelation. That is, the trials expose our hearts so that then God can purify us through the truth. And what James says here is hard for us to hear. He says, don't try to get out of them as soon as you can, but let them have their work. Let them do their work. One of our children, all of our children struggle in school in some way, but one of them really can sometimes just get mad and pitch a fit. We're working with him with his schoolwork, and we're, we're trying to press him on, and he starts to get it, and he's nailing it, and he's doing good, and he's feeling good about himself, and guess what old good mom and dad do next? Is we give him something harder. And in his mind, he's thinking... Why are you so mean? Here I am. You've given me this work. I'm doing good at it. I'm starting to feel good. I'm starting to feel like I'm getting in a groove, mom and dad. And right when I'm in that groove, you give me harder problems. Now, why do we do that? Because we want them to grow, right? I have to look at him and say, listen, son. We're going to keep giving you harder work because we love you now we could continue to give you the stuff that's easy that you've learned and you know and you could feel good about yourself but guess what you're never going to move forward and you're never going to grow so son you just need to embrace this and you need to let it work This is what God is saying to us, that when he allows these trials into our lives in these ways, is we need to be stopping and asking ourselves, how is he wanting us to grow? What is he wanting to know about ourselves so that we can then grow in ourselves? But we have to see why this is so hard, is we live in the midst of a world that tells us a lie that there's an easy button. That wants us to live with an escape hatch in the pods of our lives that makes... Anything that's hard, we just need to quit. If it's hard, guess what? Must not be God's will. We think difficulty and trials are God closing a door when in the Bible, they are God swinging the door wide open saying, follow me and grow. Sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm a part of that world. I'll tell my wife she's doing something, she's getting overwhelmed, doing that whole thing, right? And you know what I'm just like? Well, don't do it. That's not gospel leadership, by the way. But, right, I'm just more concerned, I don't want to be in an atmosphere of difficulty, right? I'm selfish. And we need to say, what is God wanting to teach us? What is he wanting to show us? Those of you who work out, and I don't, obviously. What if you go to the weight room and you're like, wow, I just realized I'm weak, so I'm going home. (laughs) Right? This is no fun. Well, no duh, you're not going to get stronger, are you? And then you'll end up sore, and guess what? You'll go back and you'll start again. And if you quit again, you'll you'll just always be sore but never grow. The only way you grow is you work through the soreness. And you let that, you let it have its work, don't you? And this is how God grows us. And you're like, well, Pastor, I'm not talking about hard math, I'm talking about some hard, hard stuff. So maybe God is detached. Maybe this is sitting on the ground level. And this is when God just wants us to shine the light of His Word and from His glory on the cross where we see Jesus submitting to the Father's will as the greatest good in all of the world was being undertaken. And Hebrews says that He endured the cross for the joy that was set before Him. So we're not talking about some God setting off somewhere either who's detached from this suffering trial process, but one who entered it and who wants to show us, follow Jesus and you will grow. Let trials have their work. But not only do we get to know ourselves so we grow, we get to know prayer. This is what verses 5 through 8 say. And we've used these verses a lot of times out of context to some degree, although they may have some general truth. If any of you has wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So we don't know what to do in the middle of trial. So, okay, I want to grow, but I get in the middle of trial and I just feel stuck well he says pray to me and ask me and it says he gives generously he gives without reproach some of us might think that god is like the father who's like oh not again am i still having to help you with this stuff like the new guy at work you're having to train and you're just like oh man here he comes with another question he's been doing this for months now can he not get it and I think sometimes we think God is acting like that with us. Well, they've been a Christian for 20 years, or 20 minutes, or two years. We have this view of God that is if He's like annoyed by us asking Him for help. When He's saying, Come to me, come to me in your trials. Learn what it means to really be in a relationship of prayer, but come to me with all of your heart. So when he talks here about praying without doubting, he's not saying there won't at certain times be some type of psychological uncertainty, because we certainly all face that at times. But he clarifies it here. He says, not as someone who is double-minded. And this means not someone who's divided in their loyalties. You see, so many of us, yeah, we're like, well, I pray to God during trials. Yeah, but you pray to God during trials as your last-ditch effort. (laughs) He's just your safety plan. He's your backup. And this is what James is saying. If you're going to pray to God as your backup, as your last-ditch hope, then guess what? You probably shouldn't expect to get anything much out of it. Because that's not prayer out of a relationship. That's just hedging your bets. See, God's wisdom comes to us when we feel lost so that we might experience Him as the only one who can guide us best. I remember... uh, I mentioned this before, but this was a, many things when our house got hit by a tornado that I felt like God was teaching us. And one was this. We're sitting there. I'm the ignorant person who's like, we'll never get hit by a tornado. Kids, let's go out in the yard and play. And my wife is the same person. They say it sounds like a train. That sounds like a train. And so we, thankfully for her, we run to the to the bathroom. We get in the bathtub. We start hearing the windows in our house just exploding in, and this whirlwind of trees, literally, I'm not exaggerating, being sucked up in the yard. I mean, if you could have just seen these giant trees just pulled up by their roots and laid down. And there we are in this tiny bathroom, and all of a sudden, my wife starts praying like I've never heard her pray before. I thought if she didn't ha- don't have the gift of tongues, she's probably about to have them. Right? She is, she is going after it. And you know what? In that moment of trial... Nobody had to teach her how to pray, right? We didn't, you know. Man, I wish right now I had somebody in here giving me five steps on effective prayer. (laughs) No, those trials, that trial put her to the point to where there's nothing else to do. There's nobody else I can depend on right now. This is too big. This is too powerful. This is totally out of my control. So it's God or nothing. That's where God wants us in our trials. He wants to get us to the point to where it's you or nothing. And that's what prayer is. That's what He wants to teach us. That when we come to Him, He's not going to call us stupid. He's not going to call us needy. He's going to make us know how needy we really are. And that's right where He wants us to be. And if we look in the Scriptures, we see all of the greatest prayers, even the prayers of Jesus as He, le- as he goes to that Garden of Gethsemane in the shadow of the cross, come in the midst of trial. If we let trials do their work, not only do we get to know ourselves, we get to know prayer. But we also get to know a real perspective on life. And this is what verses 9 through 12 say. And we're not going to talk a lot about this morning about the relationship of rich and poor in the church. We'll do that when we get to chapter 2. But just to, to summarize this, we see that we are all equally needy. All equally needy. So he says in verse 9, "...let the lowly brother boast in his exultation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. The sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. But blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him." So we might at some point say, well, I find my identity in being rich. Or others, I find my identity in being poor. But what a trial can do is a trial can totally change the perspective and be like, really? Neither one of those things define me. But the only thing that really matters in the end is where I stand before Jesus. It's like a family arguing Night in and night out on what are we going to have for supper? Where are we going to go eat? And then all of a sudden, one of their children gets cancer. All of a sudden, where we eat, it not a big deal. Changes the conversation. It's like an MC arguing over how they're going to uh, engage their people group. And then one of the people actually in their MC abandons the faith. Changes the conversation. It's like Christians at times dividing over the finer points of doctrine and then we see these videos of our brothers being beheaded overseas for the faith. Trials have a way of changing the conversation to where they need to be by giving us the perspective that Jesus wants us to have. It's as if a house catches on fire and you've got five minutes to go in there and get what you want, but you can't get everything. So what are you going to get? When God puts the fire in our lives, it reveals to us the things that are most important. And it points us to the fact that the only thing that really will matter in the end is whether we are living in the life that we have in Christ. Blessed is the man, it says, who remains steadfast under trial. Why? Because this is the one who will receive the crown of life. The perspective that trials give us can save us from wasting our life. This is what keeps us from being double-minded. This is what keeps us from being, but it'll buy me a boat, people, right? Y'all know that song? That's a pretty good song, isn't it? I think it's funny, right? But it just really describes our double-mindedness, doesn't it? I know that Jesus said this, but hey, (laughs) this is pretty awesome. Now, there's nothing wrong with having nice things and enjoying life. But there is something wrong with us losing a perspective that makes us fail to see what really matters. And this is one of the ways God, in His grace, works through trials. This is all that matters. It's the way he gets us to where the psalmist is in Psalm 73, who says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If we let trials work, we get to know ourselves if we let trials work, we get to know prayer. If we let trials work, we get to know perspective. But we also get to know something that we probably also don't want to know at times, and that's our sin. This is what verses 13 through 15 say. They say this with in no uncertain terms, that let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot, tempt, cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. So our temptation is to be, we're in the middle of the trial, and all this sin is coming up out of our hearts, right? Because trials are like that, that press, aren't they? They're squeezing the orange that we are and all the ju- orange juice is coming out. It's just showing us what we really are. And sometimes our temptations be like, this is your fault, God. And not, no need to play pretend. Every one of us in here probably at some point, starting with this guy, will point the finger at God, as blasphemous as that is, and say, I wouldn't be doing this right now, God, if you wouldn't have let this happen in my life. what James is wanting us to see is as real as that may feel, nothing could be further from the truth. God is not the author of sin or suffering. He is not the source. God did not create a world full of trials. He created a world that was good. But sin and suffering came into this world through the door of our rebellion. Our sin isn't God's fault as if He set traps for us. At times we think the tests that God give us are the traps he wants to mess us up with. It's not as if God's like, you know, I'm going to dig this hole in the ground and put some light twigs over it and grass so I can watch you fall this week and get trapped. Sometimes we feel like kids who parents tell them go clean their room and they stomp and they scream and they fight and they get in trouble and they're like, well, if you wouldn't have told me to clean my room, none of that would have happened. So where do these trials come from? Where do these sins come from? That is, the sin doesn't come from God. The sin comes from within. And as bad news as that might sound, it's actually good news because God wants to show us where we need to lean on Him and lean on Christ that we might grow. We all know that when we face a trial, it can either make us worse or better. And normally, in almost all cases, it makes us worse before it makes us better. But this is not God messing with us, toying with us, as if He's up in heaven like, hey, let's see what we can watch today that would be interesting. You know, let me mess with the people in my divine reality TV show so I can have something interesting to see. No, that's not the heart of our God. He's wanting to show us the depths of our sin for what it is so that He can show us the greatness of the gospel for what it is. It's like this lady, I don't know if you remember her, had this like wild monkey as a pet a few years ago. And she raised this monkey... She took care of this monkey, and then one day this monkey ripped her face up. And I don't mean to say that in a funny way. I know it sounds funny. But some of you might remember, she was going around all these talk shows and stuff, and you're like, oh man, I can't even hardly look. Right? It would have been nice if she could have saw the true nature of that monkey earlier on, wouldn't it? So she could get rid of the monkey. This is what God wants to do in our trials. He wants to show us the true nature of sin. It's not something to be toyed with. It's not something to be played with. It's not something that we can manage as if it's our pet. It's something to be killed. And if we let trials have their work, then we can grow from them and not be killed by them. The last thing we see in light of that great need is We find ourselves in these trials, they're revealing the sin, we're feeling lost, we're feeling hopeless, we're feeling powerless, we're feeling as if, well, I'm just, there's no way out. So the greatest thing we get to know through trials, if we let them have their work, is we get to know God. Notice verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light's, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That's just simply saying that he doesn't change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. The main test in trials is a revelation of what we truly believe about God. So whatever we might all say in here, we believe about God on Sunday morning when everybody's sitting here feeling good, heard some good songs, we're hearing a sermon. What you really believe about God's you're going to find out later today or this week, when, when it hits the fan, right? That's when you find out your theology, your knowledge of God. You're going to find out, do I really believe God is great so I don't have to be in control, or I don't. Do I really believe that God is glorious so I don't need other people's approval? <laughs> Do I really believe God is good so I don't have to look for satisfaction somewhere else? Do I really believe that that God is gracious so if I'm not perfect and I don't perform well, the the world, my world, is alright? He says here, Don't be deceived, brothers, in times of trial thinking that God is messing with you or that He's gone to lunch, but realize in trials is an opportunity for you to come to know that God really is good. He really is good that if everything else in your life might be changing and guess what it's going to i don't like change i hate it just ask my wife right i don't even want to go back to my mom's house because she put new flooring in but anyway that's my own issues right i don't like change but let me tell you if you don't already know it for some reason your life's going to keep being hard you're going to keep getting your heart broken in this fallen world. And being a Christian and following Jesus and being a part of Fellowship Paragold is not going to change that. There are going to be changes that are going to happen in your family, in your life that you cannot foresee that will rock your world. But you want to know the good news? There's one thing it's not going to change, and that's God. He's not going to change. And what He shows you through these trials is whether He's your anchor or somebody else is. Whether He's your anchor or something else is. And if you doubt that, then just remember the gospel. That's what verse 18 is saying here in James' way of saying it. Of His own will He brought us forth by the truth of His Word that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Do you see that? Of His own will He made you His child? That is, He could have left you in sin. He could have left you in a world of suffering with no help and with no hope, but not by your will first of all, but by His will He made you His child. He said, I'm going to take up this person in the middle of this broken and wounded world, and I'm going to make them mine so that no matter what trial they face, they will never face it alone. No matter what change they face, they will know a Father who never changes. They will know a Savior whom, as Hebrews says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what I will do in them is not only change them, but I will use them as a sign that one day I am going to change everything. That's what this means when it says that he makes us a kind of first fruits. We don't know maybe what first fruits are, but in an agricultural culture, they would have known that right off the bat, right? First fruits, the first of the harvest each year that shows a lot more is to come. So what God is doing through redeeming us and making us His children in the the comfort and the strength of His family, it's a sign that one day He is going to wipe away every tear. One day, death will be no more. One day, praise the Lord, all things will be made new and there will be no more trials. This is the good news God is not only doing to us and in us, but is doing through us. And He's called us out to be a people who live, who actually consider it joy when we face various trials, so that we can point a world full of hopelessness and confusion to a greater, greater Savior than they could ever find. It's like the 15-year-old kid I knew once. You've probably known his stories like this. I can't even remember who it was. I just remember hearing, hearing about this, that he he was really looking forward to getting his this awesome car for turning 16. And he was just waiting, and here is his, uh, I can't remember, Christmas, birthday, rolled around, time for the present, out in the driveway, just imagine, uh, covered with a cover, I don't know what it's called, there it sits, walks outside, and he is pumped, right? Man, just think of the dates I'm about to get with this thing. Just think of the freedom I'm about to enjoy. Just think of the, the status that I will receive. And dad pulls it off, and instead of the kid jumping for joy, his jaw drops. It is a piece of junk. It don't even run. he's looking at his dad like, what in the world? And the dad is sitting there thinking, it's not about the car. It's about the time we're about to get together making this thing awesome. You see, God might not give you what he wants so he can give you something better himself. now we really don't believe he's better if we're honest we think that's a crutch that we play make believe with to just get us through hard times if that's what you believe really got nothing hopeful to say to you this morning but if God's revealing that in your heart this morning that you really don't believe he's better than he's doing that Because he's good. And he's not doing that to shame you. He's not doing that to push you away. He's doing that. He's bringing this trial right now on you in this room. So he can say, come near to me. Come near to me. I want you to see that you're not truly my disciple. Because you're not willing to deny yourself and take up your cross. And follow me. You see, the only way we will truly know God and know His worth is through the test of a trial. If I was trying to put Psalm 119.71 up here, the psalmist wrestling with this, says it this way, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Now the psalmist, and you can read in the Psalms, man, they wrestle with god and what he's doing in the world but the psalmist says here you know that's where i really got to know you and your gospel that's where you get to know and the question is us in times of trial are we going to lean into god or are we going to bail out are we going to lean into community are we going to lean into the people of god or are we going to go somewhere else but I promise you, if you bail out on God in the middle of a trial, you're going to miss out on God. Trials help us learn that Jesus is with us and for us. Trials point us to a Savior who is innocent. He, he could have stayed in heaven and not entered this falling world, fallen world full of trials and sin. But He willingly came into this world so that He might free us from the lies of this world that tell us we can live without God. He went to a cross, and on that cross, he died the death that we deserve. He bore the judgment of God. That if God really were fair, we say, well, I wish God were fair. If God were fair, we would all be in hell right now. But God in his grace sent his son to take that hell for us, to die on the cross so that whosoever would believe in him and say, that death counts for me, would be counted for them. And then he brought Jesus forth from the grave. So that we could see a God who is not just a God with us in the trials, but a God who is greater than the trials. A God who not only reveals our sin, but a God who heals us of our sin. And He calls all of us today to follow Him. Some of you maybe for the first time to follow Him. Others of you for the hundredth time, follow me. You will face trials, but you can receive them as a gift. Fellowship Paragold, imagine with me if we really believe this. Just imagine that we don't just talk about this this morning, but we really believe this. Imagine how that would change your marriage. Now, don't go home and be the annoying spouse, right? Honey, it's a gift. But figure out how to do that, though, at the same time. Can you imagine if in your home you as a husband and wife counted it joy when you fell into various kinds of trials? Imagine in our fight clubs if instead of just letting people vent and saying, yeah, I don't know, that's just horrible, you know. I don't know how you put up with that junk at home, you know. That we're like, we find gospel-centered, wise, loving ways to say, count it a joy. Because I'm telling you, This is in God's Word, and if that's not true, if that's a lie, we just need to all go home. Let's just quit. I don't know about you, I don't want to waste my life on some sort of fairy tale that doesn't make a difference on Monday. But if it's true, imagine if we believe this. Imagine if our missional communities, when hard times come as we seek to be family or to be servants or be missionaries, we call time out and say, what's God wanting to teach us right now? What's he wanting to teach us about ourselves, about prayer, about a perspective, about sin, about who he is? Imagine it. Imagine what would happen in this city if we go out into our workplaces and when the bad things happen that happen to us and everybody else, we as Jesus' followers respond differently than the world. Imagine. Imagine. We, We won't have to come up with clever ways to talk about Jesus. People will think you are crazy. And you will probably get an opportunity to say, well, yeah, that that really stinks. But I pushed all my chips in on the fact that God is good. The gifts of trial that God gives us, they're not to wreck you. It may feel like he wants to wreck you. But he wants to redeem you. He wants to redeem you. Father, thank you so much. That even in the hardest of times and the toughest changes, you never change. And God, I do pray today that you would help us to believe this. And I just, above everybody else, scream out to you, God, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Help our unbelief this morning, Father. We ask that you would change us. We ask that you would teach us that we would not be the type of people who just want to run from the trial, but we want to meet you in the storm. God, would you humble us to do just that by putting our eyes on our Savior, the one who submitted it all to you, walked into the greatest trial, and came out as our only hope. We ask all this in his name, Jesus' name. Amen.